How can we make Bible reading habits this year realistic, maybe even enjoyable? This is the Bible Reset Podcast brought to you by the Institute for Bible Reading. Welcome to the show. I'm Alex Goodwin here with Paul Caminiti and Glenn Powell. It's January, which means that people around the world are taking their Bible off the shelf, maybe dusting it off, and recommitting themselves to really, truly try harder this year to read it. Some people might be Googling a read the Bible in a year plan with the little checkboxes next to each day, or others may be looking up reading plans in the Bible app on their phone. None of these things are bad, but we all know that so often they end up in failed commitments and yet another year where we feel like regular Bible engagement is an impossible feat. So today we're going to take a step back and explore what stellar scripture engagement really looks like. The point really isn't to give you the best plan ever for reading through the whole Bible in a year, but instead we want to rethink what it means to read well, less about forming a regimented discipline and more about having a rich and vibrant experience with the Bible. Yeah, I have to tell you guys, uh, this episode is a little painful for me because I hearken back to 20 years ago or so when uh, I was a pastor and I used to lead my congregation through this annual charade of uh, encouraging them, mm-hmm. prodding them to read through the whole Bible in a year. And, you know, we knew that for most of them, they petered out, you know, by Leviticus, and yet we followed the same method, you know, every year. And so we want, we don't want to do that this morning. <laughs> we want to help you actually get off that bandwagon and really deal with some of the, the root issues about becoming a lifelong, you know, lover of the Bible. And as we've done so many times, uh, we come back to these two seminal questions that kind of get to the heart of the matter which are, you know, what do we really think that the Bible is and what do we think, you know, we're supposed to do with it? So we're uh, this morning going to kind of borrow a pedagogical method from Jesus' playbook. You may remember this in uh, the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. About six different times he uses what we've called the messianic contrarian method where he challenges the conventional wisdom of his day, and he uses this phrase. He says, you've heard it said, but I say to you this. And so, you know, Jesus uh, used that, and we're going to be a little Jesus-y this this morning. And uh, at the beginning of the year, you're likely to see lots of offers for Bible reading plans and lots of Bible tips and so here's what you may have heard in your research, but uh, here's what we have to say to you. It's always, it's always good to be Jesus-y. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Good example to follow, right? So, all right. So here's number one. You've heard it said that first and foremost, you must find the right translation. But here's what we say to you. Yeah. Regarding this translation issue, which does, you know, if you look them up, it comes up quite a bit, actually. Um, the fact is there are lots of good English translations of the Bible. I mean, there are differences. Reading level is different. The readability, um, you might have a preferable translation philosophy. But the fact is there's a whole range of translations that are perfectly fine for rendering the ancient languages into contemporary English. And um, I think that's not really maybe quite the major issue that some would make it. 
we say that the biggest difference maker is not the translation you have, but what kind of Bible you're trying to read. If you are trying to sit and read the scriptures with a reference book format of the Bible, it's going to be tough sledding. You'll actually be working against the format, which is really designed to help you find little bits of the Bible quickly, kind of like a dictionary. So instead, we say, why not try a Bible actually designed with reading in mind? Many good English translations are now available in Reader's Bible editions. And what's a Reader's Bible? If you don't already have one, um, you need to hear what this actually is. The heart of a Reader's Bible is its single column setting without all the later reference intrusions like chapter and verse number, section headings, footnotes, and all of the whole range of modern additives that have been inserted into the text. And the better reader's editions will format the books like the literature those books actually are. They'll show the natural breaks with all the different kinds of writing so that you can actually read poetry like poetry, stories like stories, letters like letters, and so forth across all the different kinds of writing that we find in the Bible. So our first encouragement is get thee a reader's Bible. We believe this might just be the most crucial single factor in your success with the Bible this year. Yeah, and I can just speak from personal experience when a friend of mine, before I even met you guys, introduced me to this concept of a reader's Bible. And I had kind of been in that same boat, right? You know, struggling each January to make it through mm. the uh, Genesis and Exodus even. And um, it was a game changer for me and for a lot of other people who have even said, I do fine reading my regular Bible. I just ignore the chapters and verses and all that other stuff. And then they try this new right. way and they're like, wow, I didn't quite realize how much of a interruption that was. So really, I feel like that's, that's the big one for me personally is just taking away all of those mm. different distracting elements. And that's a very good point. I think, you know, it's one thing to theoretically think about it in your head and say, I don't think it matters that much, but there's nothing like the actual experience to let you know this is different. It doesn't affect me, affect me, affect me, affect me, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. All right, so number two, uh, you have heard it said that you must be organized and establish a routine and read at the same time every day and follow a reading plan that oftentimes jumps around a bit between the First Testament, maybe a Psalm and a New Testament every day, New Testament passage every day. But um, here's what we say to you. Yeah, we, we don't want to denigrate a schedule. <laughs> we don't want to denigrate uh, the idea that, you know, it's a good thing to set your mind to do something. And that's certainly true of the Bible. I think of, you know, Ezra's statement, it said, Ezra set his heart to study the word of God and to do it and to teach its statutes in Israel. And so, you know, setting out on a course and having a plan to succeed is not a bad thing, but it can backfire. And I remember my uh, college days when I first started getting serious about the Bible. I remember hearing a sermon from the book of Mark, and this is probably familiar to you. Uh, Jesus was uber busy, and so it says before dawn, uh, he gets up and he goes to this solitary place to pray. And I remember the speaker said, this is the gold standard. If this is what Jesus did, this is what you should do too. And so a uh, bit naive, but that's what I set out to do. And I would get up 
four or five o'clock in the morning while it was still dark. And I think I fell asleep oftentimes during my reading. I know I fell asleep <laughs> for my for my morning my morning classes. So yeah, um, schedules are good, but we we suggest maybe something different this year. And you know, one of the things that came out even this week, yeah, the New York Times reported a study showing that of all those who made New Year's resolutions last year, over eighty percent gave up by February. So, I mean, let's learn a lesson. Structure and sheer willpower apparently aren't enough by themselves to establish new habits uh, for most people. So here's a different idea, uh, not predicated on a New Year's resolution. What would happen if you started reading the Bible the way you would read any regular book? And, you know, again, people oftentimes will set out and say, I want to read, you know, 10 books this year. Nothing wrong with having a plan. But, you know, people don't structure a daily quiet time to read regular books. They typically take up whatever kind of book that interests them. They read it when they want to or when their day allows them to. And they oftentimes read at a varied uh, pace. And they actually then at some point, uh, if you're ever going to read 10 books in a year, they do so because something good is happening to them. Uh, while they're reading. So it's one of the reasons, uh, Glenn, why we are bullish on reading Bibles where people can read mm, and there yeah. aren't these like invitational or these artificial invitations to to stop reading. So uh, think think about that as a kind of a paradigm shift as you begin your year. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. I mean, of course, this is the name of our organization, right? We're called the Institute for Bible Reading. And the point here is that I think also worth mentioning, we're using the word reading and not study. I mean, Bible study is great, but it's actually a little bit of a different thing than Bible reading. And when people read a regular book of whatever sort they like, you know, history, biographies, fiction, it's because, as you just said, Paul, something good is happening when they read, something that they find rewarding. And I think we just need to take the pressure a little bit off of our or Bible reading, and make it more like regular reading. Um, we, of course, are passionate people about reading the scriptures. We're also very aware of the research on Bible reading, and it's not very good. Um, and sadly, it's even trending downward more so for younger people. So the trending is not good for the church and Bible reading kind of heading into the future. So the usual motivators which at least seemed to work for a greater number of people in the past, one of which I think was kind of regularly guilt, um, mm -hmm. just aren't working anymore, especially for younger people. That's why we started the Institute for Bible Reading in the first place. We were all working in Bible publishing and translation, and we knew it was not especially hard to create and sell Bibles. I mean, it's already the number one um, best-selling book every year, and the content is already written. So how hard can it be to publish mm -hmm. Bibles, which is, you know, not like most book publishing. Right. But then we got increasingly clear that Bible engagement is the real goal. Bibles for sale, Bibles bought, money made, Bibles sitting on shelves. These were never enough. We want to see more transformation. And it only happens with reading and kind of deep engagement. 
So I think what I'm saying is that the heart of all this is we want people to read the Bible on its own terms. We want people understanding the Bible as the kind of book it actually is, not something that we turn it into that is contrary to its real nature. We want people engaging with all of the Bible. The scriptures weren't created and given to us in the first place just so we could find in a few especially nice hidden gems in there. My favorite Bible verse is just not enough for living a vibrant spiritual life. So we're looking for something deeper. And that's, that's really what we want to get at today in this episode of The Bible Reset. Yeah, and Paul, for again, going back to kind of my personal examples, um, it's, it's felt like it's just taken the pressure off to like not have to check off that checkbox next to day 128 of your 365 day, you know, Bible reading plan. Like if you come across something that you just feel like, you know, that feels like a good stopping point and I need to sit with that for a little bit. Like this morning I was reading Psalm 119 and I sat down thinking, all right, I'm going to read the whole thing in one go. And I got like a quarter of the way through (laughs) and I was like, wow, I think that's a good place to end. And like, I just need to chew on that for a little bit. And then, you know, other days I'll sit in the gospels and read 15 pages or something in a row and just kind of take in the narrative. And so it just feels like it lowers the pressure to make it this mechanical sort of thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. I just like to say I chose Psalm 117 today and I actually made it, Alex. I made <laughs> oh, it all go. the way to the end. Probably <laughs> helped that it's the shortest chapter. I was going to say, entire what is Bible, that like? I had lines? success. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there you right. go. <laughs> all right. So you just chose badly at the beginning. Yeah, I guess so. It, it is. To, it is uh, all about competition. I can yep. be, yes. I can be more holy, holy than you. But you know, Alex, yeah, it, Psalm, Psalm 119, David does repeat again and again, you know, and, and it's famous because every, every one of David's statements has something pertinent to say about the law of God. But over and over mm-hmm. again, he repeats that he loves it, that he delights in it. And so mm-hmm. I, I think we could safely say that if your methodology is, you know, kind of law-filled and law-built, and you find yourself just, you know, underneath it, uh, like the Bible got thrown on top of you and you're, you know, it's, it's a weight. Um, mm-hmm. If that's your continual experience, if there aren't moments of delight and pleasure, then, you know, it's probably good to uh, start working out your own salvation in a different way. We've moved, it sounds like, from this quote-unquote duty mentality to maybe what I'd call a vibrancy mentality, less about the pressure to read a certain amount or read a certain number of times, but really to get the most out of the Bible each time you open it. Does that sound right to you guys? Yeah, it does. And in the past, we've called this stellar scripture engagement. And that's what we, again, want to propose instead of um, reading through the Bible in a year starting in January. It's, it's all about understanding the Bible in depth and its nuance and wrestling with it and learning to live it well. And so we've identified five basic conditions that, uh, if met, um, we think will, will help move all of us in, in that direction. And so, of course, if we explored each of these in depth, 
this would be a, a nine hour podcast. So we're going to lay out the five <laughs> yeah. parts, you know, fair, fairly quickly and, and let you, let you noodle on them. But here it is the top five things that we believe will give you the best chance uh, for receiving the full gift of the scriptures this year. So number one, get a well-translated Bible that you can understand and get it again in a reader's format so that you can see what kind of books the Bible is actually made up of. And as we've said, this is probably... The, the the single most important thing that you could do this year. And if you've never read one, uh, again, you're not going to believe the difference that it makes in testimony after testimony is that it creates a completely different experience in Bible reading. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's the way to start. Absolutely. And I think what a reader's Bible allows you to do flows right into step number two, which is regularly feast on whole literary units. This is the thing the modern reference Bible makes so hard because it breaks everything up into unnatural pieces that so often don't follow the actual natural breaks and flow of the literature that the Bible is. And along with that, reading them in context. So the idea is read books is the core, I think, not isolated verses or chapters. I think as a general rule, it's just good to think about, I should always be reading books because they are the actual building blocks of the entire Bible. It's a collection of books. It's a library of books. And the artificial divisions that the modern Bible introduces um, kind of hide that from us and make us think that it's all this collection of chapters and verses. And the kind of neat thing is um, a lot of the books can be read whole in a single sitting. That's really pretty amazing. And I actually looked it up um, today, and 75% of the Bible's 59 books, the number is 59, by the way, when you put the divided books back together the way they <laughs> exactly. were originally made. Yep. So there's 59 books in the Bible, Samuel Kings, that kind of thing. But over three-fourths of them can be read in an hour or less. Yep. Like, that's amazing. I think people would be shocked to learn that you can read the, the majority of the books in the library by sitting down for about an hour or even less and, and get a lot of the Bible read that way and, and read a whole book. So you're getting what the authors and editors of the Bible actually intended was one book as a complete message uh, in this time and place, you know, to a certain set of people. So even with the longer ones, you can read a section that is a natural part of the literature. So I think, again, like you said, Alex, just take the pressure off, um, quit thinking you have to follow the regiment of a plan, and just read more naturally. Um, and, and follow those natural breaks that a reader's Bible will have. Um, chapter breaks don't always align with those breaks. And um, just get it. And the other thing that's different about this, Alex, when you made that first description, so many of the one-year Bible reading plans really do jump around. So you're reading a chapter from the Old Testament, a psalm, maybe a chapter from the New Testament, and it's this kind of jumble every day. So you're trying to keep track of three different things at once, yep. which again, I think is hard to do, and, and maybe the word is simply unnatural. And if you're reading one book at a time, focusing on its message, how it fits into the story, and reading the natural breaks 
you know, where the prophecy ends before the next one begins, the the story where it takes a break, um, whatever part of the Bible you're in, then I think you just have a more relaxed and enjoyable experience without all that jumping around, trying to keep track of things in your head. Yep. So then along with that, I think if you're reading the literature, like in these natural ways, um, you can more naturally ask yourself about the context questions, which of course are so important. And the thing, the way to do that is again, take it out of the realm of the scholarly and hard to understand and just ask some very simple questions. What kind of writing is this? Am I reading a letter? Is this a story about Jesus? Is it a wisdom literature? What, what kind of book is this so I can read it the right way? What was the world like when this was written? Always try to keep in mind the history and culture question. And again, sometimes people think, well, that's a big complicated deal. I got to go get a bunch of scholarly Bible resources. And actually, if you're just reading the Bible holistically, you pick up so much context you know, in history and culture just by reading more. So if you're not picking out little isolated parts of the Bible, but just reading whole books, you're going to pick up all kinds of things about what ancient culture was like, what the history was happening at the time. Um, it's right in the text itself. So yeah, you can go deeper by looking things up if you want to. That's great. But you don't have to. I think you can pick up a lot of history and culture by just being aware of what you're reading and reading big. So that's, that's another question. Um, keeping track of what part of the Bible you're in. Where is this in the overall story? Is it before Israel was formed as a nation? Is it, is it in the, the Old Testament before Jesus? Is it the story of Jesus? Is it outworking the, the, the meaning of the ministry of Jesus? Just where am I in the story? That will help you have the right kind of set of expectations of what this part of the Bible, this book, is going to be offering you. And then something that's not always thought about is what am I bringing to my Bible reading? And I think this is something that has come about relatively recently in the Bible world where we're aware of our own context, that our yeah. own place of being situated, uh, what country do I live in? Um, what's been my experience, my experience with the Bible? What life experiences have I had? What am I bringing to the Bible that might make me look for some things and filter out certain other things that are really important that other kinds of readers in different situations, um, race, social standing, class, country, part of the world, time in history, all these things matter. And I think the more aware of you are of your own context, the better you'll be at saying, yeah, I wouldn't naturally look for that. But I need to be aware that that's in the text because I don't want to filter it out just because I'm following what my own experience is. So not hmm. that you have to, you know, legalistically go through all these questions, but just as a big picture thing to keep in mind, kind of writing this is, what was the world like, where am I in the story, and what am I bringing to the text? I think those simple questions just to keep in the back of your mind will, again, just give you a more authentic, more natural, and more enjoyable, as you said, Paul, kind of Bible experience. Yeah, Glenn, I, I agree that just by reading larger sections at a time, you know, enhances your cultural experience. And actually, I think just the reading of the text uh, 
turns you into something of a cross-cultural reader. Uh, mm, at the same yeah. time, uh, it may be this year you you do want to invest a little bit more in becoming something of your own historian. And, you know, there are fabulous and fascinating books on Roman history. Um, there are some amazing documentaries on early Judaism and uh, Jerusalem. And we would recommend all of these things. They help us to be culturally bilingual, and that's only going to help us long-term as we're reading the scriptures. So here, uh, number three, uh, in terms of becoming a stellar Bible reader, whatever part of the Bible you're reading, always be thinking about where am I in the bigger story? And a, a regular major question that we should be asking is, how is God moving things towards redemption and the renewal of all things? And especially, how is the story either moving toward Jesus or unpacking the full meaning of the like and work of Jesus? So, you know, as an example, um, if you're reading King David's account of his adultery with Bathsheba, there are certainly some moral lessons to be learned there. We've all heard sermons on the fact that David had too much time on his hands. The other generals were out fighting, and he was at home strolling around on the roof. And th those are all important things, and we shouldn't dismiss them. But if you're looking for the overarching story, when you read this story of King David, who was everybody's best hope to be the Messiah, to bring nirvana you know, to, to the world, um, what we learn here is that human kings and human institutions are not the solution. And frankly, that's something that I think we're massively forgetting right now in this ex existential moment in time. Mm, that we're thinking yeah. that human kings and human institutions are going, to, are going to save the day. But if we're reading big, and again, if we're reading with this big picture in mind, throughout the entire story. It is. It is leading to this idea that everything up to this point is insufficient, and it paves the way for Jesus to arrive on the scene. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the, the point about it's not just a story. It's a story that is Jesus-centric. Um, again, such a big deal. And I think some, some traditions and some Christians have kind of thought, well, the Old Testament is a series of predictions about Jesus. And so reading with Jesus at the center means just looking for predictions about Jesus explicitly, oh. like born in Bethlehem yeah. or born of a virgin or whatever. You hear those, you know, like we just did at Christmas time. But it's much, much deeper than that. It actually means, I think, reading the First Testament in a Jesus-centric way means listening carefully to what the interest of the text actually is, like the, like the beginnings of the tabernacle and temple, to make one example, um, that God wants to live with us. And so as we just talked about in a recent episode about the idea of incarnation, right, God with us is actually something that goes way back in the story of the Bible. That's what it means to read in a Jesus-centric way. Israel was looking for God to live with them and be for them. And so um, we're looking at Jesus as actually fulfilling the storyline of the Bible, not just fulfilling prophecies or predictions in 
the Bible. So yeah. reading Jesus-centric is a bigger thing than simply looking for explicit references to Jesus or predictions, but actually seeing how he is very close to the heart of the story. And that's what you're looking for is, you know, the covenant with David, the coming of the temple, all these things that happened in Israel before the coming of Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the heart of that storyline, not just some, you know, trivial, superficial um, prediction, if you will. Yeah. Okay. A couple uh, random things to add, both on Glenn's previous point and on this one that Paul just shared. Um, there are some resources out there that I've seen online that go book by book and give you kind of an estimate of how long it would take to read through that whole book. And you, you know, mm. it's like you said, Glenn, it's amazing how short some of them are. You're like, shoot, I can read through Colossians <laughs> or something in like nine minutes. Like <laughs> who would have right. thought, you know, right. like these, exactly. you know, so, yeah. um, so I'll put a link to one of those in the show notes. Also, if one of our, or if any of our listeners are interested in taking a look at that and maybe using it to decide what book to read in one sitting, given, uh, given how much time they have. Uh, second, this, this point about reading in context, I think Paul, you listed a couple of good ideas for resources to get back into that world. Um, I think this is an area where study Bibles are helpful, right? Like study Bibles mm -hmm. kind of blend commentary and the text. And as you said at the beginning, Glenn, they're not made for reading. Like there's just too much on the page and it's just yeah. kind of mentally yep. overwhelming to take it all in, but paired with a reader's Bible where you read a whole book and then you go back and look at the study notes in your study Bible that kind of drop you into ancient Near Eastern context is a helpful uh, sort of rhythm, it feels like to me. Like I know there's the cultural background study Bible from Zondervan, I think, that's all based on that theme of just helping the reader understand what's going on in the background of any given text. It's just hard to do while you're actually reading the text. So there um, you go. Yeah. So I've I've found that to be helpful as well. And then uh, and then finally, for our listeners who might be newer to the podcast and hear us talking about the Bible's meta narrative or grand story or whatever and saying, what on earth are they talking about? Uh, we recorded a couple <laughs> of podcasts last year unpacking the meta narrative and the big story and how it's all Jesus centered. So I'll also link to that stuff in the show notes. So it'll be a uh, it'll be a bulky show notes section this episode. but. Hopefully, some helpful resources for you. Yeah, it's very great. Thank you, Alex. That's those practical like links um, can make a real difference. So thanks for including that. Yeah. Okay. Point number four, and this this is really I think what we could call the Bible's own end game. Like, what is the Bible trying to do in the world? It's trying to invite you into the story. It's not just trying to tell you that story, right? I mean, it's it's one thing to come to the rec the recognition. The Bible isn't a collection of little moral statements or little pieces of encouragement or little pieces of moral teaching, you know, whatever. I think books are the building block. They come together to tell a story about what God is doing in the world to fight evil, to bring healing and restoration. And so at the end of the day, though, God is not just telling you this story in the Bible. The Bible is an invitation. Here is what God is doing, so how can we join him? The same Spirit of God that inspired the Bible is now urging all of us to become what I like to call gospel players. That is, people who are in the drama. They don't just read it, but they see their own life as being taken up in the same story that the Bible tells. 
And so, you know, we, again, like you said, Paul, we could do a nine hour Mm -hmm. podcast episode on what that really means. And, you know, we've talked before about the idea of improvisation, um, that we have the script of the Bible, but we're improvising our own part in the continuing story. So there's lots to pursue there. But that idea that we are in the story, not just reading about the story, is really, at the end of the day, what the Bible wants from us. Yeah, thank you, Glenn. Um, Step number five in stellar Bible engagement, it's crucial to remember that the first four steps um, are best done in community with others. And, you know, when I was growing up, I had a wonderful model from both my father and my mother. I would come downstairs uh, in preparation for, you know, breakfast before going to school. And almost every day, uh, I would find both my father and mother in an easy chair uh, with a cup of coffee and with their Bibles open. And I cherish that. Um, It was indelibly Uh impressed um, Mm. on my heart. What I don't think I ever did see with my parents was. Um, you know, later on in the week or something, them gathering with others to have conversation about what it was that they had read. And so I guess in my own, you know, uh, forming mind, I thought of Bible reading and Bible engagement as something of a solo sport. And so we want to say, um, as forcefully and and winsomely as we can, that the Bible is a communal book, and it was written to communities, for communities, and meant to be engaged uh, by communities. And as we've said, even though we're not trying to uh, be kind of law-driven in how we read, at the same time, this is a, a really kind of compelling and winsome way to build some accountability into your reading is to do it with somebody else. So maybe this is kind of our last, you've heard it, but we say this, you've heard (laughs) it said, if you've been reading the (laughs) Bible tips, um, share what you've read with somebody else. And we would say, do one better than that. Actually come together, engage two or three friends this year and agree. First of all, we're going to get reading Bibles and we're going to get on the same page. We're going to get together maybe this year by Zoom, and we're going to have these open-ended conversations about what we've, uh, what we've read. So shake things up a little bit this year, mm. and that, yeah. that's two great ways to shake them up. Say, so I'm going to read a reading Bible, and I'm going to read communally. Wow, that's great. Okay, so we take these five points, and we put them all together. Um, what we call stellar scripture engagement. That is star quality scripture engagement. Um, I think the the end is that the Bible can become what it was actually meant to be. Uh, It's what scholars call a divine speech act. A speech act is basically just a fancy way of saying that when the Bible is appropriately read and understood, the, the words themselves make good things happen. That is, they are an action. They don't just sit on the page. Those words actually do things. They're an act. They are active words. They instruct. They inspire. They reveal. They judge. They convict. They heal. And they save. 
And all that action is working toward transforming the creation in the direction of God's ultimate purpose for the flourishing of life. That's our big picture overview of what the Bible is and what the Bible is trying to do with us. We think that embracing all of this is a stellar Bible reading goal for 2022. So however you choose to read, structured or unstructured, following a detailed plan or freewheeling, I think do what's best for you and your personality and and what works for you. Following these five steps to stellar scripture engagement, we believe will serve you very well. The Bible can become the place where you will hear the call. Welcome to the story. And here's how you can join in. Yeah, thanks, Glenn. Well, we we certainly hope that this episode has given our listeners a Bible reading plan that uh, that you guys can actually get excited about this year. And while many of you listening are probably aware of our Immerse Readers edition of the Bible, some of you may list, may be listening and wondering where the heck you pick up one of these distraction-free readers Bibles we keep harping about. And uh, just also want to let you guys know that in partnership with Tyndale House Publishers, we did create a reader's edition called Immerse the Reading Bible. And it comes in six volumes with no chapter or verse numbers, single column layout, reordered books, natural literary sections, etc. And it also comes with a reading plan and discussion questions so that you can have the experience in community reading and discussing with others. So if you're interested in that, you can go ahead and look it up and, uh, and order a copy over at immersebible.com. As always, this episode is brought to you by our Changemakers community of donors who have pledged monthly gifts of any amount to help us change the way the world reads the Bible. And, you know, a lot of the things that we've discussed on the podcast today are big core elements of the change that we're trying to make in the prevailing culture around Bible engagement. So if you think that these concepts we've talked about are important and you'd like to support our work to pioneer a new normal around Bible reading, you can sign up to join Changemakers at institutebiblereading.org slash changemakers. That's going to do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. <laughs>